If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Listeners, Ben Jones is joining us today to talk about data literacy. And I've got to share something with you, listeners. I thought I was a data nerd until I started to research Ben Jones, and I'm not a data nerd. I only thought I was. Oh, my gosh. I've got to share with you, I have rarely encountered people who not only understand data in the way that Ben does, but also are able to communicate how to use data, how to display data, and how to make data easily digestible for people who maybe don't love looking at spreadsheets or long lists of numbers or stats. So you've probably guessed this already. Ben Jones is passionate about helping groups work more effectively with data. He is the CEO and founder of Data Literacy, which is an organization that does data literacy training, data visualization work, a ton of publishing too, by the way. When you go to their website, there are so many different things that you can access. We're talking courses, we're talking books, and there's also a lot of, frankly, free material on his website as well. And the resources off the chain amazing. We're going to talk about some of the resources on his website at the end of the show, though. So Ben left a high-paying corporate job, as did his wife, so they could start this company, Data Literacy. And just so you know, this is not someone who's like, I'm just going to go start a company. This is someone who said, I'm going to go start a company, and I'm also going to go teach at universities on data and data visualization. So we are incredibly fortunate and lucky to have Ben join us today to talk about data and data literacy. Hey, Ben, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dolph. Thanks a lot. That's a real nice introduction. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you. And and I will share, honestly, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a data nerd. And then I went to your website and I was really starting to dig in, especially like into some of the infographics you have around, okay, how do you avoid data pitfalls? And I was like, wow, there's all these things I'd not thought about. I don't think I am a data nerd. I only thought I was one. 
<laughs> well, we love that you think that because that already shows some confidence and that's a big step along the way. So we wish more people saw themselves as data nerds and we're trying to get them there. I often joke with folks and it's true. I pivot table and I love pivot tables and I love being able to slice and, and dice data in different ways. But I have a feeling that you're doing it at a whole different level from, from the one I'm doing it at. And, and I've looked at some of your data visualization. So I'm hoping maybe we could start there. Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. And so, first of all, I don't want to make the assumption that everyone in the world knows what a data visualization is. So if you could maybe share what that is. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, in simple terms, it's a chart or a graph or a map, and we encounter them all day, every day. In more technical terms, we help people understand that what they are is an encoding so it's like a coded message and you're coding it in visual channels. So objects like bars or circles have lengths or angles or colors that are all based on the data. The data itself in your spreadsheet or in your database is controlling those properties of this visual you're looking at. And the purpose of doing that is so that when you look at it, you can decode it and you can start to make guesses about the proportions in those objects coming from the data. So that's a little more technical understanding about it. But yeah, think of it like a coded message someone created, and you want to get to the place where you feel really confident that you have the key to be able to decode it. And so I know it might seem obvious, but I'm going to ask this anyway. Like, why use data visualizations? Why not just show people the numbers? Yeah, data visualization. So I love this quote from uh, Tamara Munzner. She is a researcher and academic in Vancouver at the University of British Columbia. And she's one of the most foremost academics in the field of data visualization. And she says that, you know, uh, the visual channel, the visual system, the human visual system is a high bandwidth channel to the brain. So what that means is we are taking in a lot of information through our eyes. And so what happens is when you take your table of numbers or spreadsheet or whatever you're looking at, and you start to encode the data in the visual way that I mentioned, patterns start emerging and you start to notice things that you would not have noticed if you were only shown a table of numbers. And you start to just immediately, almost before you even are aware of it, you start to realize what's there. It takes shape. It comes to life. It's also very colorful and draws people in. And to me, it makes it much more interesting and invites people into a conversation, whereas perhaps maybe a simple table might just turn them off, like you mentioned in the intro. I'll share with you one of the ways that I, in my own consulting practice, have used data visualization in a way that's been really impactful is when we're doing strategic planning, we will often take five years of financial data and five years of fundraising data and five years of program data and turn that into frankly, all in like dozens of different charts and graphs. And it's funny because we'll often have both staff leaders as well as board leaders who will say to us, oh my gosh, we've never looked at our financials for five years. And it is interesting because like, you know, we could show them that in a spreadsheet, but it would not be as powerful. There's something like when we see lines go up or when we see bars get bigger, we're like, oh, okay, we get it. This is getting better. Whereas when we see lines go down or bars shrink, we're like, hmm, what's going on here? possible danger. Let's talk about it. Yeah, it's really hard to notice. Let's say, for example, your numbers are decreasing at an exponential rate. If something was shown in a table like that, it would really be hard for you to see the shape. You know, you'd see the numbers and you'd see them going in a certain direction. And that might be alarming. And that's great. But when you were to when you then turn them into a line chart showing change over time, 
that exponential curve actually physically takes shape. And so now you already realize something more than you would have known if you just saw the numbers when you would still be left with this question in your mind, like what actually is happening here? And, you know, is this rate of decrease, um, is it getting worse or not? You know, so those are things that I think there's no replacing a great chart that just enlightens everyone that sees it. And I think it's important to tap into that power. It's a powerful thing we have and we can tap into it by, you know, making effective charts and graphs. I think it also, like when we do it effectively, it also helps us challenge assumptions. And so there have been multiple times when we've shown in the last year, when we've shown five years of data and we might, for example, see um, declines for the last four years. But when we talk about it, the first reaction is, oh, well, COVID. And then we can say, well, okay, but this data starts in 2018. Mm -hmm. So there was already a trend. (laughs) COVID might have made it worse, but there was already a trend in this direction. So let's talk about how that trend started. And it is neat because, like, again, when you're looking at the line, you're looking at the bar, it's just undeniable. It's going down or it's going up. We we typically don't do our charts and graphs in black and white, but it's essentially in black and white. Yeah, and it's very compelling, right? I mean, it's clear, it's compelling. And uh, to your point, it really, I think, augments the discussion uh, because it's hard to avoid some of the conclusions that we can we can come to, you know, when we see it in, in visual form. And it's also, it's just more fun. I mean, there's something more engaging to me about the visual. There's something that draws people in. It's It's a human way of communicating. I mean, think about art. I mean, there's so many ways in which we like to communicate visually, even dress and clothing. I mean, these are visual forms of communication and expression. And I think charts and graphs can can benefit from that side of us that really wants to experience something that has been designed well. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping we can also talk about those visualizations and how we design them well. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping you and I can nerd out for a few minutes about best practices (laughs) in actually creating our charts and our graphs and other, and let me say, it's not always just charts and graphs and other visualizations as well. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many ways to think about it and it's almost overwhelming. You know, when you're creating a chart for either yourself or someone else, you're asking yourself, well, what do I do? How do I make this chart such that it makes sense? There's so many different options. And so that's a, a, a question that, any chart maker has to address at some point. And um, I have a few thoughts on that for sure. I'm actually uh, incorporating them into a book I'm writing right now called Read, Write, Think Data. And that should be coming out later this spring. And it's also part of our level two course. But those are super important questions. And there's a way that we've all seen someone can make a chart that's really confusing or even worse, maybe it's misleading. Maybe you walk away with the total wrong impression. And there's so many ways in which I think we we fall into some common pitfalls there, which I talk about in avoiding data pitfalls a bit. But uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Where do you think we should start on that one? Um, so, I mean, like, as, as much as I hate to first to start basic, I'd love to start first to start basic. Like, and part of this, of course, is also those pitfalls in our visualizations. But what are the basic do's and don'ts when we're making a chart <laughs> or a graph that we're planning to show to other human beings? Yeah, so um, there are some really great rules of thumb. And there are always exceptions to those rules of thumb, by the way. But uh, for example, so Barbara Tversky, she's a researcher at uh, NYU as well as Stanford. She wrote a great book called Mind in Motion. And uh, in that book, she talks about, for example, you know, this tendency we all have. So if you and I see bars in a chart, the tendency is for us to assume that's a discrete comparison. So I'm comparing this versus that versus something else. 
However, her research and some of the experiments she ran shows that if you take that same exact data and instead of making bars, you make dots and you connect those dots with a line. That simple act of changing the graphical marks now speaks something completely different to the audience, which is that there's something trending happening. There's some movement over time now that you start to think about. And that's just a natural assumption we all make without even knowing we're making it. So when we show change over time, this is why it's really effective that people choose line charts because you start to see a line going up or down. And just like we talked about earlier, it's just this natural assumption we make. Additionally, let's say we take some objects like pie slices and we put them together so they make a perfect circle. Well, that communicates that we're expressing a part to whole relationship. Uh, and again, it could be the same exact data. We take that bar, we turn it into lines, now we turn it into pie slices. And all of a sudden, we're communicating something totally different. And so part of uh, the job of the chart creator is to ask themselves, what does this arrangement express? And is that expression true to what's in the data? Does it faithfully express what's there? So that's one principle. It's called the expressiveness principle. We talk about it in the book, Learning to See Data. The other principle, so it's easy to remember, there's two E words. There's expressiveness I just mentioned. Then there's this other principle of effectiveness. And really briefly, what we've learned from research over the last few decades as the field of data visualization has matured is that some encodings give the reader a better ability to accurately decode the values. For example, if you take the position of an object like a dot and you put another dot next to it and you tell via the axes that you're comparing the dot's height from a common baseline, it turns out that research is showing that human beings are really good at judging how much farther one dot is than another. Now, that's an example of an encoding type that really gives us a great ability you know, to judge the true proportions in the data. Let's say though you take the same numbers and you instead decide to color the dots differently, a darkness, let's say. And then you say to someone, okay, you know, one dot's a certain level of shade of gray, the other one's a little bit darker. And then you ask them, you know, how much darker is it? Uh, that's really difficult. So people don't do as good a job guessing the true proportion there. And so, that's uh, where the principle of effectiveness comes in. What it says is that we should match the importance of the variable with the effectiveness of the encoding channel. The more important the variable we're trying to ex express, the higher the effectiveness of the channel. Channels like position or length are really good. And that's why bar charts are so helpful. Other encodings like angle or even area or even worse, a three-dimensional shape projected on a screen or a page or a piece of paper. That's really difficult for people to, to make good guesses about the numbers. So that's the effectiveness principle that I think we always want to keep in mind as well. So those are two starting points. So real quick, I've got to ask you then. So I heard you say people are tough at evaluating or estimating the area. So does that mean, for example, if you were to take a dot and scale that dot based yeah. on quantity, people are, have a difficult time saying, okay, that's about 50% larger than this other dot. Yeah, exactly. So if you, let's say you make a two dots, one of them has twice the surface area as the other dot. Um, and you say to someone, hey, you know, how much bigger is this dot than the other dot? 
they're going to come up with a number. They're going to make a guess, but it's not going to be as accurate as if you make two bars, one's twice as long as the other. We're really good at looking at the length and saying, oh yeah, I think that bar is twice as long. But if you make a circle twice the area, people are going to be a bit off. Uh, and so, you know, it just turns out that way. We're just not, and this research goes back actually to the 1940s when a, a researcher at Harvard by the name of Stanley Smith Stevens looked at different stimuli, not just area and length, but also the brightness of lights or the level of shock of like an electric uh, shock, not at a extreme level, obviously just, you know, surface level. But anyway, yeah, he was looking at that and realized, oh, people don't really, if you increase one of the stimuli, it's not, people don't necessarily perceive it to be increasing as the same amount as the other stimuli, even with the same proportional increase, right? So those are really helpful uh, pieces of information that we've gathered and gleaned. And now one thing to be careful about though, is that sometimes people then assume a very rigid type of an approach with data visualization. In other words, they say, well, you can only use a more effective channel uh, that gives people a better or more accurate way of guessing. And I'm not really uh, a proponent of that belief because I think there's some wiggle room here. You know, sometimes great accuracy isn't necessarily so important. Think about in engineering. Well, if you're going to engineer a space shuttle, the tolerances are going to be a lot tighter than if you're engineering a, a scooter maybe or something. And the same is true of data visualization. One chart may require you or someone else to make a really accurate guess to do the job well. Other times, look, a rough awareness is okay. And so in those cases, there's a lot more latitude and we can have more fun and it be more playful almost in the way we encode the data. And so there's a lot of room for that in the field. And I, I like that about it because it allows us to apply some of our own discretion and, and even maybe, like I said, you know, be more creative. It isn't like a perfect algorithm that says, here's your data, here's the chart you have to make and you, you can't do anything but that. I definitely think that that's a trap people fall into when they learn about this research that, is, that has gone on. And I think we need to be much more open-minded about it than that. So it, it's interesting that you say that because one of the things that Lexi and I will often do in our, in our practice is like when we're analyzing financials, obviously we're taking five years of data, but we'll go, huh, this might be interesting. And then we'll throw it in a couple of different charts and we'll go, no, not as interesting as we thought, or, oh, this is really interesting. Let's talk about this. Yeah, so the ability then to quickly look at different angles becomes a superpower. And one of the nice things is some of the software that's out there today allows even non-coders like me to be able to very quickly look at different angles. Maybe I want to see this as a map. Maybe I want to take a look at it in a different way, changing the colors a little bit. And so some of the software we have now really, uh, I think of it like, um, you know, riding a horse around a track. And so, you know, the software is such a fast horse now, and we can go through this process very quickly and iterate and look at it different ways. And eventually, like you described, you're going to have that eureka moment, that aha moment where you say, wow, I looked at this chart and now I realized something really important that I didn't realize before. Or even sometimes better, I have a brand new question that I did not even have before. It doesn't always need to give you an answer. Sometimes the most powerful chart instead gives you a brand new question that you didn't have before. And maybe the data can't answer that question. You might need to step away from the laptop and go talk to someone or go observe something in the real world. 
to you know better understand what's going on there. But I do find that to be the case that many times charts give me new questions, and I love that about them. So I want to talk about the technology you just mentioned, but before I do, it's funny, like Lex and I literally were just having this conversation last week because we were analyzing some program data, and we're like, oh, what does this mean, A, B, C, D? And we're like, well, we have client focus groups coming up next week, so we're just going to ask them, you know? And is that is that subjective? Yes, because it's the people that chose to come to the focus groups. But still, it gives us, frankly, a much, much better sense of what really it is as opposed to us guessing or us going to, you know, volunteer leaders and go, okay, well, what do you think it is? Let's go talk to the people that actually inform this data. That's so important to do. I try to do that all the time. Anytime I make a chart that I'm going to publish, I say to hopefully an expert and a non-expert in the subject matter and an expert and a non-expert in data visualization. Let me show you something. I just want to notice what you notice. And I'm not going to describe it to you. I'm not going to lead you or try to make you feel like you need to see it one way. I'm just going to show it to you. And I'm going to say, talk to me. What do you see? And uh, you can learn so much that way. Sometimes we assume, because we've been looking at our data for so long, and we've seen this chart already, and we already know what it means. And then you show it to someone else, and they're really, really confused about it. And you realize, maybe I need to add an annotation, or maybe I need to focus their attention somewhere else. They didn't notice that thing that I really thought they would notice. Instead, they noticed something totally different. Okay, maybe I need to do more then to draw their attention. Maybe there's too much clutter and they're feeling overwhelmed. So it's so important just to get people's feedback, you know, especially when we're talking about presenting and sharing something broadly uh, or about a really critical topic that, uh, like COVID, you know, we've all needed to look at COVID data just to know how to keep our family healthy and safe. And so, uh, you know, helping people see what's going on. Well, that's been a matter of life and death in the last few years. And I think it'll continue to be uh, in various ways and different topics going forward. So this is a critical skill. You know, it isn't just about our jobs or becoming more promotable. You know, in a lot of ways, it's about our society. It's about understanding what's happening in the world around us. So I promised I was going to ask you about tech because you mentioned, oh, there's some great tech that will help you with this. Are you talking about Tableau, Power BI? Like what are what, what tech do you recommend? Yeah, I worked at Tableau for many years. And so I really love it and I use it all the time. Uh, since I've left the company to start this business, I've had a chance to train some of the uh, nation's top intelligence analysts uh, for the federal government in Power BI and also a nonprofit actually um, that is uh, is all about peace, which which I love, you know, um, especially today when we're seeing uh, a lot of war happening, you know, sadly. And so uh, I've discovered and come to realize that Power BI is also a very uh, powerful tool. So the idea is, you know, we can mostly, uh, many of us know how to make charts and graphs in Excel already. And that's a, a very good tool for that kind of a thing. But when we start to realize that, you know, these new modern visual analytics software tools like Tableau, like Power BI, even some browser-based ones like Data Wrapper or Flourish Studio, or even Raw Graphs is a brand new one that's open source that's totally free to use. They make it really easy for us to connect to our data, you know, after watching even just a few um, videos that introduce you to the software and how to use it, you can get started and you can play with it. And you can start to really uh, not just make charts that are insightful, you can even make ones that interact with each other, you know, in the sense of a dashboard 
where more than one chart is in the same view and I'm able to interact with them in a way that allows me to ask and answer millions of questions in a real short amount of time. And so, yeah, I really do love the software that's out now. You know, uh, it's, if I compare it to when I started my career 20 years ago, it's mind boggling how much more we can do in much, much less time. The tools have evolved very, very rapidly, but they're also easy to use to make mistakes with, which is part of the reason why I left to come to start this company to help people learn how to use many tools in a way that is going to, you know, hopefully steer themselves clear of, of some pitfalls that are out there. But the power of the software that's out there today is remarkable. And it isn't just software for those who learn how to code. You can use um, some pretty amazing JavaScript libraries, R libraries, things like um, ggplot or rstudio for those who are more comfortable with a scripting language even python you can code interactive uh, visuals for the web so for those that are able to get over that you know pretty steep learning curve to start writing their own code that's really a, a breakthrough sort of a moment but i have found i don't actually code so i found that i can do a lot with these visual tools today and that's something that I've really, uh, you know, really enjoyed learning them and teaching them as well. So I have to share with you, I was laughing when you were saying, oh, yeah, you know, when, when I started my career, here's what was available. When I started my career, um, there was SPSS for DOS. Yeah. And yeah. Lotus 123 <laughs> notes for DOS. <laughs> and so that's I, amazing. Yeah, so yeah. I actually remember the first time I sat down at like a Windows computer with Excel, I was like, my mind oh, yeah. is blown. With just right. a few clicks, I can do all these things. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and so, and then in the early 2000s, which is when Tableau was founded, it took another massive leap from the MS-DOS to the, to the uh, Windows 98 world, right? Windows 95. Now all of a sudden we can do even so much more. And so, yeah, the power of uh, these tools now is just remarkable. So what's happening though, because of that is you have so many organizations that have implemented them and sent them out and deployed them to people that really don't know how to use them, or they don't know how to use them well, or they just feel confused and overwhelmed by them. And so, you know, in a lot of cases, organizations, nonprofits included, have gone out and bought a Ferrari that's sitting in a garage, you know, or worse, someone's crashing into a wall with it. So we've got to teach people how to use them effectively. And we've got to teach people how to avoid making, making mistakes with them because people get misled by their data using charts and graphs all the time, every single day. I remember when that hit me, I was working at Tableau and I came back from lunch one day and I just realized to myself, the thousands upon thousands of people all around the world have been completely misled by some clicks and drags and drops and software that's enabled them to see something that they thought was real, but it really was, they were looking at it the wrong way. You know, They were confused about what they were seeing. So that's something that happens a lot nowadays. And so how do you protect against that? Like, like if you are the person who's clicking and dragging and dropping, how do you make sure that, that you're not creating this data visualization in a way that leads you down the wrong path? Yeah, so, we, so a few things about that. One thing is teams are good for that because people, the more people are involved, well, that can slow things down, but also it increases your chances. Someone spots the pitfall, you know, um, so that's one thing. And the more diverse the team is as well, to, to be fair. Uh, so secondly, I would say, like we mentioned earlier, Dolph, you know, look at the data from a number of different angles, because 
if you just look at it one way, you might see something. If you look at it another way, you'll realize that was a phantom. You know, it was once you see it a different way, you might all of a sudden become aware of the fact that, you know, those assumptions you made originally need to be adjusted and modified. I'm also a big believer in before you start to make charts to let your data answer your questions, I'm a big believer in just exploring its contours. So what does that mean? Some people call it data profiling. Basically, you encounter a new data set for the very first time. Just take a minute to walk around the building. You know, I tell the story of a couple different European explorers who came upon the New Zealand islands. The first was Abel Tasman in the 1600s. And, you know, he sailed around. He didn't even know there were two islands. He thought the area between it um, was a land bridge. But there's actually, if you see New Zealand, there's a, a waterway. It's called um, Cook Strait. And that's because the second European traveler to explore and come across New Zealand islands was, was James Cook and his crew. And they noticed, because they did a very thorough circumnavigation of the islands, that there's that navigable waterway between the North and South Islands of New Zealand. Okay, so where am I going with this? Same thing with our data. We need to carefully look at it. We need to see what's there. What are the maxes and mins? How many records are there? How many different columns or variables are there? And what different types? Is there a time variable? Is there some kind of a geographic variable? Um, you know, sort of those kinds of questions can help us because Otherwise, if you don't take a minute, and it doesn't have to be with software today, it, you, we're not talking about a day or two. I think you can probably in 20, 30 minutes, get a good sense of the data and what's there. Even less if you use a tool like, let's say, Tableau Prep, that gives you a bird's eye view of all of the, the different variables in there. And so that's a good way to avoid making a lot of mistakes. Uh, but really, there's no other way. The fourth way I would say is just doing it. You know, you got to do it. You got to you really don't know about a pitfall until you've fallen into it and skinned your knee, you know, now you know it and now you'll remember it. And so it's hard to really have that, that visceral um, awareness of a mistake to make. That's just how we are as humans. We sort of need to mess up. And then once we do, we're going to be remembering that a little better for next time. So the more you do it, the more I think you almost think of it like developing an immune system. You know, eventually with a baby, they're really susceptible to a lot of different viruses and such. And then as they get older and older, their immune system learns and grows. And so same thing with looking at charts, you know, at the beginning, you're going to do some of the common, most common mistakes that are out there, like truncating the y-axis in a bar chart. Now, all of a sudden it looks like a change of 10% looks like it's double or triple or something, right? And then once someone points that out to you, uh, you know, hope, hopefully not in, a, in the middle of an important meeting, but uh, in any in any case, if that were to happen, my guess is you'd probably be much more uh, alert to that kind of a mistake uh, next time around. Mm -hmm. I love that. Ben, we are unfortunately running out of time. And you know, there's an off the map question waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> I know that you love to hike, to kayak, to backpack, as do I and a lot of our listeners. So what outdoor adventure would you recommend listeners do when they come to the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, so uh, speaking of off the map, yeah, this is a perfect one for that. You know, uh, all the fellow backpackers here in Seattle are going to be really mad at me, but I'm going to tell you all a secret that you need to know about. And those who are in the area know this is the place to go. So 
the name of it is the enchantments and already it evokes this like almost like lord of the rings like uh feel and that's exactly what it is you go there and this is an area in the central cascades that is close to a town called leavenworth which is itself a really cool little town like a bavarian themed town you know but anyway the enchantments you go to kolchuk lake you go up over asgard pass up into the upper enchantments, there are these amazingly majestic white goats that'll walk around up there. There's even glaciers in the middle of the summer and uh, alpine lakes that are just pristine, almost like a greenish blue. So the enchantments is an area, if you ever come up this way and you got a good pair of hiking boots, take a look at it and try to find your way up there. Even if you just walk around in the, uh, you know, some of the the foothills of this area, you're just going to be really blown away. So yeah, check out the enchantments. It's, it's a place you'll never, ever forget. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm going to be adding that to my list of places that my hiking boots need to go. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, Ben, thank you for joining us today. And listeners, you probably are like, okay, I got some good information. I want more. And here's how you're going to get more. I want you to go to dataliteracy.com. And that is Ben's website. There, here's some things you're going to find. You are going to find, first of all, courses that you can take. Um, and by the way, he's offering a 25% discount on courses if you use the promo code SNP25. That's SNP25. And in addition to courses, you can also check out some amazing resources. Like, for example, it was at his website that I discovered a couple of metadata websites like data.gov that I was not familiar with. They are now bookmarked, and I will be using those again and again and again. So you can also check out all kinds of really cool resources. He's got a great blog. Um, and in addition to the courses and the resources and the blog, Ben is a prolific author. I really don't know how he's put out so many books over the last few years. The one that you should totally check out right now is Avoiding Data Pitfalls, which is available on Amazon as well as at his website. But literally, prolific author. There's lots of great books on data that Ben has authored. Ben, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dolphin, for those kind words. Yeah, I do love writing and, and um, talking about data. So hopefully your listeners will appreciate uh, some of those things that we've spent some time doing here in the last few years. So again, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, listeners, if you're running or running from goats or whatever, then here's the deal. If you cannot remember the URL, dataliteracy.com, you probably remember successfulnonprofits.com if you're a regular listener. So you can go to successfulnonprofits.com and get the link for Ben. And we'll also put the promo code for the 25% discount on courses, and that's SNP25. Listeners, if you found this helpful, if you're one of those nonprofit leaders that really wants to get better with data, there are two other episodes I'm going to encourage you to download and listen to. The first is Measuring Impact with Alan Mackey. That was episode 192. And apparently we kind of do it in chunks because then episode 195 was how to prevent a data breach at your nonprofit with Spencer Pollock. Because, you know, data is really important, but protecting that data, especially when it has confidential client, donor, employee information, whatever, you want to be protecting it. So make sure you also check out episode 195 so you'll have beautiful graphs and charts because of Ben and Alan, and then your data is going to be protected because of Spencer. So listeners, that is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment.
And guess what? I'm not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This episode and everything about the Successful Nonprofits podcast is for informational purposes only. And you know what that means. It means you should not rely on it for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please, if that is what you are looking for, find a licensed, qualified person in your area and have a conversation with them. And if you're not sure who to approach or what type of professional you should be talking to, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to help you figure it out. And if I know someone in your area, I'm happy to do a referral.